Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening and welcome to the History of Germany podcast. I'm Travis Dow. So today I'm going to try something a little different because I went to Wittenberg and tracked down the host of a German podcast called Angegraben, which is about archaeology. So I tracked him down and we talked about the Nebra Sky Disc and some other topics. He's kind of an authority on the topic because it was at the museum that he used to work at. So the interview itself is actually on my German feed, but um, well, the interview sounds a little bit like this. Hallo Travis, ich bin der Budler, bekannt aus Podcasts wie Angegraben und, und ganz neu, genau, ja. das geheime Kabinett. So to get something from my English feed, I thought maybe the best way I'll go about this is summarize and translate what he said. I'll do my best. Um, if someone has any better ideas on how to handle this in the future, I know I'll have some English topics, uh, guests, and I'll have to figure out some way to have that content on my German feed and vice versa. The interview open on one screen and um, Nebra Skydisk stuff on another screen. And uh, I think I can put the two together and, and come up with some English content here too. So again, this is a rough translation of our interview and kind of a summary or paraphrased version of it. Um, but so Der Budla basically sets the, the tone of the significance of the object. So the Nebra sky disk is about 32 centimeters uh, in diameter or about a foot in diameter. And it's really unique and that has in turn kind of become a, a famous artifact among German museums. Um, quite uniquely so actually. So we're talking a disk of bronze from about the early Bronze Age or Middle Bronze Age. So about 3,600 years old. And in the story of the sky disk, what's also famous is the discovery because it was only discovered about 15 years ago around the turn of the millennium, let's say. And it was found illegally by sort of treasure hunters. It was found near Mittelberg. And Mittelberg is kind of significant in its own right because it's, it's always been... Um, inhabited because it's it's kind of in the middle of trade routes and um, is it's just a very fertile area and um, even today is known for its wine. In the area there's a lot of burial mounds, also an Iron Age fortress. So and that's basically the area where the sky disk was buried. Now the Iron Age settlement also of course drew some some grave robbers and you know sort of treasure hunter folk you know, they kind of walk around with their metal detectors. German law strictly prohibits that. So you're not supposed to just go out treasure hunting and messing with archaeological sites. And needless to say, I mean, the reason behind this is that if people just go out and, you know, with metal detectors and, and start digging for stuff, um, obviously the context and, you know, the objects themselves get damaged. And it's just really hard to kind of 
put together the way it was found and, and you know, get the whole picture. Obviously, metal detectors only find metal, so any other objects out of wood or ceramics or anything else um, doesn't even show up, so, um, and, you know, is e easily overseen or just destroyed by shovels. In fact, because these treasure hunters uh, used hammers to kind of uh, loosen the dirt, you can actually see on this, the sky disc itself that there's one part that's dented, like right in the upper corner. In fact, at first the treasure hunters didn't even realize what they had, so they, they kind of came across this huge plate and they thought it was like a, a garbage can lid or something, so they just kind of threw it aside at first. But then they, luckily, I, I guess, uh, found bronze swords, and so then they figured the other thing must have been something too, and they had another look. Besides the swords, there were also a few uh, bronze implements and arm rings, like jewelry, and so the, the find wasn't just of the disc. So anyways, the treasure hunters took another look, and they managed to sell the disc to a teacher, and the teacher, you know, recognized some kind of significance or, or its worth, um, but still bought it for, you know, very cheap, considering um, what it ended up being sold for, uh, whatever it was, just a few thousand marks. Unfortunately, the teacher decided to clean it and basically took some steel wool to the metal and, um, you know, got some of that oxidation off and, uh, you know, kind of hurt, hurt the artifact, basically, unfortunately. He got together with a woman accomplice, I guess, and um, kind of went around to museums trying to sell it for significantly more money than he bought it for. One interesting aspect of this is that, you know, so obviously museums, several German museums must have gotten this offer, but no one actually reported it. So that's, you know, just kind of an interesting aside. One case that uh, der Baudelaire definitely knows about is when they tried to sell it to the museum in Halle, which is where he used to work. And um, it was that director, he was a brand new director, that realized that this is worth something and, you know, it's illegal to buy it, but we should kind of get this to safety in some way, you know, get it into the system. So the director of the museum in Halle went to the police and they basically ended up setting a, up a sort of a sting operation. So it was kind of funny is that, so this, this happened in, in Basel in Switzerland, they set up the sting operation and Mailer, the director of the museum, decided to be the buyer and because, uh, you know, and, and basically he, he pretended to be someone that would restore it and be interested in it. And so he got a kit from, from one of these restorers of all these, you know, chemicals that would identify its authenticity and that kind of thing. And, um, but, you know, he was kind of nervous and, and new to it. So he ended up kind of bungling it up and, um, with his chemicals proving that the disc was real, but the swords along with it were fakes or, you know, something like that. So, but in this first hotel meeting, basically, um, he was able to identify the artifacts as being genuine and then basically, you know, bought them, put them, got them to safety and then called the police and the, uh, the, the teacher and his accomplice were arrested. But at that point, it wasn't really clear where the disc actually came from. So they, they, they gave it a different town's name because that's kind of where they thought it came from. Um, but one of the tr original treasure hunters, in a plea bargain to get a lighter sentence, um, decided to cooperate with authorities and then, you know, showed them the original spot. And they were able to kind of identify exactly where in the ground it came from and examine, you know, the surrounding area, basically.
So and that takes us to back to Mittelberg and Nebra. Now regarding the piece itself, well actually the other stuff it was found with, so the bronze swords for instance, um, were again dated to the early Bronze Age and had a sort of, had simple decorations in it and um, pretty nondescript, you know, bra uh, a full-handed sword, possibly fancy enough like decorative-wise that um, they weren't really used for weapons but more as kind of a status symbol or, you know, just to, to kind of show some sort of rank. But now if you do look at the disc, it's again about a foot in diameter and the most obvious thing is that it has a full circle of gold on it. So it's, you know, overall it's bronze, which is oxidized to kind of a deep green. But there's a full, uh, pretty large gold circle on it. And then what's obviously basically a crescent-shaped moon um, on the other side of it. So, you know, on kind of each side. And then there's 32, 33 stars, little gold dots all around the disk. Now the crescent moon is obviously a moon, but it's you know still debated whether the full circle is a full moon or sun or what. Now what's interesting about the stars is that they're pretty evenly dispersed around the disk, but there is one kind of grouping of seven stars. And with seven stars, you kind of think of the constellation Pleiades, or is part of the constellation Taurus, but it's you know also known as the Seven Sisters, like that group of seven stars and the Pleiades you know obviously play a big role already way back in kind of dating when to either I can't remember if it's harvest or plant when you could see the Pleiades it was certain that you had to do something um, and then also the one theory says that the the crescent moon and the full moon could play a role because in a moon calendar you know, it shifts regarding a, to a solar ca calendar. And so you basically have to check if the moon is in one position, then that means you're right. If the moon is in the other position, that means it's wrong because that means this, the moon calendar has shifted too far. So there was a way to tell, um, even on a, on a lunar calendar that shifted, there was still a way to tell whether it was the correct season or not based off of the the Pleiades and you know kind of where it was and how the moon was around it. So that's one theory. But what is also certain about the disk is that it was changed uh, through, you know after its creation a few times. Like kind of amended to or altered. For instance on the edge of the disk on both sides there's a gold arc was kind of amended to the edge. So again it's kind of um, you know a certain angle and Basically, from one side it would be sunrise, and the other and the other side sunset, and the latitude about fits for it to be in the Middleburg um, region, or at least latitude that you would see the you know if you lined it up, if you lined up the disc with the Earth, you imagined you know the Earth being flat, then you would you wouldn't see the sun rise past the golden arc on one side, and set on on one side, and you wouldn't see it you know, rise on the other end, like the, the solstice um, on the other side. So you could basically see, you know, the extremes of the sun rising and setting. And like I said, those arches were brought on later. So on one side, they actually took off the stars to make room for the arch. And on the other side, you said, you know, you, they didn't do that. And so obviously they must have thought it was too much work and they just uh, 
you know, stuck the arch over it. And then it, regarding the stars, another interesting thing is that there's 30, 32 or 33 of them, and I forget which, and it's also, that also might not be a coincidence, or it's 32 rather, 33 with the, with the moon, and that's important because every 32 solar years are 33 lunar years, or vice versa. And then another addition to the disk is a sort of a rainbow-looking thing or a um, another arc set into the bottom part of the disk. So the solstice ones are kind of really on the far edges, and then there's a third one that was added after um, that's just kind of in the middle and the bottom, underneath the, the moons. And that's kind of a mystery because it could be a rainbow, even though it's, you know, it looks kind of like that. It has a line through it or along it, but obviously the rest of the, the disc is just depicting the night, so that doesn't necessarily make, make sense. I mean, there are moon rainbows, I suppose, but, um, and then another interpretation could be that it's a, it's a boat because it was part of a horde, so who knows what the significance of, you know, it might have been added for that sake. Maybe it's a sickle because that's important in the late Bronze Age, especially the, you know, like the, the whole sickle cult. There's a lot of big hordes with sickles. Up, up to even dozens, hundreds, that are buried together. But it's not exactly sickle-shaped. And of course, if you turn the disc upside down, you know, it looks like a rainbow. So, you know, then it's, then it's suddenly at the top. And it's, it's hard to say if it could be a boat, it doesn't exactly look like one. But, you know, they also played a big significance in faraway places like Babylonia. And, you know, or like, think of the River Styx. So, it's, it's an interpretation. It's one of the theories that's floating around right now. And there's even little lines going away from the sickle-shaped thing. And even people kind of imagine that it could be oars in a boat. So it's, you know, it's not certain. But people aren't even certain if the disc is a full moon or the sun. So there, there's a lot of reading into this in modern times. So one needs to be careful to not kind of interpret, you know, some random theories into this disc. It is hard to say for certain what that would be. And then another, and then maybe the last addition to it was all around outside the disc, they've punctured holes all around it. So maybe the disc was tied to something, maybe a, a breastplate. Um, you know, it's kind of too small for a shield, but maybe it was the center center of a shield. Maybe someone just wanted a leather wrapping around the edge of it. Um, again, it's it's really hard to interpret or know what those holes were about. Uh, there, there's parallels in medieval times, and see people had metal discs, and they would put a leather border around it, and you know, drill holes in the, around the edge for the same reason. But again, it's you know, it's hard to. These are thousands of years apart, so it's hard to draw parallels. It's almost it's almost too many holes around. It's really perforated a lot that it was just hung somewhere because if you're just going to hang it somewhere, it would just take one or two holes. So it it is kind of interesting. Of course, the you know the biggest hope is that eventually we find something similar in a different p part of Germany or somewhere else from that same Bronze Age culture and then we can kind of compare the two objects but so far this one's just really unique so all the theories you know pretty much stand alone we, we don't have any other context of any other discs which makes this find so interesting but you know overall I would just kind of warn of a of a word of caution to you know kind of theorize too much about the significance of all these symbols because because we just plain don't know for example, there's, you know, in the same museum where this is kept, like it, like in comparison, there's something called the sun hat that was discovered. And, you know, there's just a little kind of curled pattern in the hat. And people have this significance or people have read the significance of every curl has some meaning, some astrological meaning or, 
you know, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, it's just kind of, it becomes absurd, all these theories that, that people read into this when we just plain don't know. And even the whole interpretation that the sky disk was used for practical purposes, like to see the solstices or see when exactly to plant or harvest, you know, need to see the Pleiades in a, in a certain time. You know, that's not really true because the farmers just all knew this. I mean, they everybody could tell from experience when it was time to plant or harvest. So, you know, it's even kind of silly to even look at the obvious theory of, you know, this is clearly showing um, certain time of year or solstices people knew it anyways or it just wasn't important even the whole the main theory that it was a practical kind of disc is you know not really necessary necessarily true and then of course it's also interesting that the disc was buried in a hoard and in central germany we have all all kinds of these hoards buried and you know there's no human remains around the the thing so it's pretty interesting like why people bury hordes like is this just a, a bank a hiding place is this is this meant for is it out of respect for the objects themselves so there's all kinds of interpretations on why people even bury hordes in the first place that's hard to say is it you know the same as like viking or, or anglo-saxon hordes you know these are these are a thousand years before that so it's it's hard to even um, really say or draw a comparison between those later Anglo-Saxon finds or Saxon finds and these, even though these are in Saxony, just just such a big time difference, it's hard to say. And then, of course, one of the, one of the theories of why people buried hordes in this age could have been was because of that volcano in somewhere on the Mediterranean, I think it was Greece, um, and that, you know, people said that, okay, you know, there was the whole Bronze Age event that, or Bronze Age collapse, but you know, the dating of this disc is kind of off for that. It's it's too early or too late. So even that theory, you know, is not necessary. For some of the hordes it might fit, but then why are the hordes after and before? So even even some of the more accepted theories, you know, there's always there's always room for debate, let's say. And also the volcano probably wouldn't have had that big of impact this far north. But it is conceivable that because of all the trade back and forth, north to south, through this part of Germany, that maybe if the Mediterranean area collapses or goes through a recession, let's say, then, you know, obviously these trade networks further north, even in Saxony, would have had less of an impact and might have also been in decline. So yeah, even with some delay, possibly. So it's it's hard to say. And, you know, it's been compared to even Achilles' shield because even, you know, from Homer, even even that, that shield also has the Pleiades on it so you know but but again it's just it's a superficial similarity or a, even a coincidence um but people have pointed that out obviously and obviously um this this would be a really a, this would be a really small shield one foot in diameter there's, there's nothing on the back to strap it to your arm so you know that's that's also kind of a far-fetched theory if if that even is one but that that's just that's that's one of the interesting things or unique things about or maybe challenges of archaeology as a science is because you know everything starts with just theories and it's it's a different sort of scientific method i mean you just have to be very careful and compare it to other finds and you know those always change as you find more um you know th that's just how archaeology works just basically over time you get possibly hopefully closer and closer to the truth and you start burying or just discrediting older theories but who knows maybe they just buried it as a joke so that because they knows they knew that 3,000 years later some archaeologists would dig it up and be really confused so anyway that's the sky disk of Nebra now if you want to hear more 
Uh, and I should say, if you also speak German, there's a Hoaxilla podcast where they discuss hoaxes and, you know, debunk theories and, and that kind of thing. Really, really cool podcast. It's in German. So, um, you know, but, but then, of course, another great source for archaeology podcasts is Der Budler. And I hope to have him on the show again. And, and if that happens, then obviously I'll, I'll try to translate it again. We, we actually did two subjects when I was in Wittenberg. So we'll, we'll talk about the, uh, I'll translate the other one soon. The, the thing that was brought up in Hoaxilla on that podcast, which is really cool, is, or really interesting, is that, um, you know, this disc is so rare, it's totally unique, that many people thought it was a, a fraud, or maybe many people thought it was, it was a hoax or some sort of forgery. And so because of that, it was possibly researched better than just about any other German artifact. So in fact, you know, they found out that the tin comes from Cornwall, the copper from the Alps, and, you know, just because of the, the corrosion, they know it's absolutely definitively genuine. So it really is as old as it looks, and people have said it is. And it, it really does come from that part because they were able to do soil analysis with the area. So that, that's the thing, it's, it's actually, so now we really know it's genuine because it was believed to be a fake for so long. Um, it's just one of the best research, researched pieces out there. They've done every kind of test they could think of basically, which is pretty cool. So I'm kind of experimenting on how to get German interviews into English. So this was my first attempt, I hoped it wasn't too bad. I felt kind of like a, a translator on the fly. I'm listening to the German version on my headphones while you know speaking in English. Um, which is kind of a new skill for me, but so I hope it I hope I'll get better It's not always easy but um, Yeah, so I got one more show coming up from from Der Budla or, or the digger is what that would be in English But um, if you do speak German his show is angegraben.de and it's a German show about archaeology Really cool stuff and then he has a new show Das Geheime Kabinett Which again, it's in German, but uh, I love it. The, one of the last episodes was on the whole history of the relic of the foreskin of Jesus and all kinds of random, you know, objects, interesting objects throughout history. And um, yeah, this really interesting show that, you know, doesn't topics that don't fit into his other um, archaeology show. So and, and, you know, it's really cool that Deb Woodla lives in Wittenberg and he works in the Martin Luther House. So there will be I'll kind of rely on him somewhat heavily when I talk about the beginning of the German Reformation. And um, that'll be really cool to, to have someone like that on the show when, when that time comes. And because of that, I might actually pull out uh, the Reformation and other single topics. I will pull them out of the chronological order and handle them separately. Um, the same thing that, that I'll do with the regions of Germany. So... Um, I just wanted to bring that up again, so we don't you don't you won't have to wait several years until I get to the Reformation. I'll actually that'll be one of my um, earlier topics that I get to. I'll kind of jump ahead, go to the Reformation, and then go back to the chronological order wherever I happen to be at that point. Um, another one is probably anti-Semitism. That's that's a really interesting topic, kind of touchy and controversial, obviously, but um, it, it goes way back, and it's it is interesting to look at how that's changed throughout the ages. So that'll be another one that. Um, I'm, you know, I've, I've read quite a bit about it, uh, in history and I'll, I'll kind of go over the history of antisemitism and how it changed and obviously the impact in Germany. Um, and I'm not going to wait all the way until either the middle ages or, um, even the 20th century to get that far. You know, I'll, I'll take that out of the chronological order and, and deal with that separately. 
So anyways, next time on the History of Germany podcast, I'll get back to the chronological order. Don't forget to check out History of Alchemy podcast or Bohemian podcast. Um, just go to historyofgermanypodcast.com and all the links are there. Check out the other stuff we're working on. And until next time, thank you very much. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.